What's up, Hyperfast Nation? On this episode of the show, I sat down with a former NFL player, a contestant on America Ninja Warrior, an international speaker and coach. He is the founder of the Shift Method, which helps people close the gap between their shortfalls and where they want to go. Welcome to the show, Anthony Trucks. Welcome to the show today, Anthony. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Great. I'm excited to, to have you on. Former football player, college, NFL. Uh, give give our listeners here at Hyperfast Nation a little bit of your background and, and your story and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, man. Um, so it's, a, it's a not fairly short, unfortunately, but I'm going I'm to sum it up in the Take readers. your time. Take your time. <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do the Reader's Digest version is what I've been told. I'm, I was around back in the day when they used to have those little Reader's Digest. Uh, but, yeah, no, I was given away at three years old in the foster care system. And so I kind of endured a lot of craziness as a kid. And then from there, progressed into a foster care system that was heinous and then got adopted after 11 years in a system by a very poor all white family at the age of 14. And then kind of like a lot of identity issues of where do I fit? I'm not one black guy in an all white family and kind of whole dynamic there. Tried something that I wasn't good at, but wanted to be good at, which we all have about with that at some point in time. I tried football, wasn't good, but wanted to be good. Eventually after checking out, I checked back in and found a way to get, to get under the skin of my, uh, myself, I guess, to really drive at a different level and got real good at the game. Got a college scholarship to play football at the University of Oregon. Went out there with my high school sweetheart, met my real dad at 20 years old, had my first son at 20 years old, my high school sweetheart, ended up doing really well in college, got an opportunity to play in the NFL. So married my high school sweetheart, um, went to the NFL, spent three years in my third year, got hurt, playing with the Pittsburgh Steelers, tore my shoulder, playing against the Philadelphia Eagles, came home, had a massive identity crisis of who am I without this game, and the walls came tumbling down, man. I, at this point, uh, you know, I had a mom that had been diagnosed with MS at 14 back when I had been adopted. I had a, you know, my son who's now like four. I have two more kids, my twins with my then wife uh, at the age of 25 or something like that. So now I got three kids. I got this gym business. I started it when I came home as well, which is across the street from my grandma's Colwell Banker. She was the broker at the Colwell Banker across the street. So she was like my my business brain when I needed it and went through a massive crisis, man. Next thing I know I'm divorced. I have a, a failing business. I have, uh, I'm not a good father. I'm out of shape. And like, was legit, like suicidal. Like this thing sucks after football I was living in a 500 square foot studio apartment, trying to keep my gym business alive, fought to keep it alive. But I was just like by the skin of my teeth for years. And then uh, at a point in time, my mom passed away in 2014 and I kind of woke back up. We'll call it. I was like, this is not a life that I want to live. I'm not going in the direction that's going to end positive. So I started making some shifts. And in making those shifts, after three years divorce, remarried my ex-wife. We have an amazing marriage. We're like five years deep in now. Uh, I have a business that thrives. And I get to go and serve the world at a high level and teach them essentially the things that I navigated uh, accidentally, but then learned about the psychology, the neuroscience behind the scenes to actually make it a process that's duplicatable. And I get to the point where now I'm blessed to be able to go and teach people about the vehicle that helped me eliminate the guilt that I had, the shame I had, the inability to make money, 
all that fun stuff that's not so fun. And the vehicle was identity. So I learned how to make an identity shift so I could actually have a great, like a perfect work-life harmony, man. I'm, I'm in great shape. I have a great family. I, I get to make good money. I get to serve people. And at the same time, uh, I take away from no other areas of my life. So that's what I do. That's kind of the short Reader's Digest version, man. No, I, I appreciate that. I remember those Reader's Digest, by the way. Itty bitty ones. And, my uh, grandma still has them. Well, my wife's grandma still has them in the bathroom, man. They're so old, but they're there. There, there, there's a lot to unpack there. So many nuggets and things we can we can kind of peel back and dive into. Um, prior to going to the Oregon, though, was, was home was home for you in Oregon as well? Just no, um, I don't think there's many African American people that live outside of Portland in Oregon. So yeah. it wasn't, wasn't home. <laughs> no, I live uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, a very non-diverse, oh, sorry, very diverse area. Uh, but I was living in a non-diverse town when I grew up. So I was the only black kid in my entire school, my family. So I had a lot of weird um, stuff there. But no, home was the Bay, man. It always has been. I left yeah. for a little bit for football. We moved to Costa Rica for like three weeks, which was supposed to be 10 months at one time. But home's always been the Bay. I've, I've uh, always been impressed with how well like Oregon and for football, Oregon state for baseball, mm -hmm. I've been able to recruit really yeah. good athletes. I know it's not the focus of the show today, but um, no, right. they, they, they seem to be really good at, at getting athletes from all these yeah. like more interesting places. <laughs> they do a good job of treating you well when you're there. As in yeah. my opinion, you know, I'm sure some people don't always have that same experience, but when you're there, you are the pro team. So like everybody wants to come get your autographs. I'm on billboards. Like it's kind of cool. They got all the fresh gear that Nike because Nike actually runs all the stuff through us. So whenever you go to University of Oregon, you have like it's up in Beaverton's where, you know, the headquarters is. But they'll bring guys down with, you know, pretty much prototypes and say, try these cleats out, try these gloves out. And so you pretty much get to try things before they go out to the rest of the world. And so it's kind of cool to have that little thing there. Oregon State's baseball. I know nothing about. I just know they're good. But once yeah. you get a team that moves, everybody wants to be part of the team that's good. And so you start recruiting and you find ways to make it enjoyable for the kids, even when they're, you know, just there for school and sports. Well, it, it, aside from that, you know, it seems, it seems like you, you played football, high school, college, pro, that's like over a decade. I'm, I'm assuming when you add all yeah. of those up. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I think, you know, getting this question of identity when, when you're at the level you are, you know, great college program, then pro, uh, you, you're like in the top 1% of the top 1% of the top 1%. So obviously there's intense focus in that. And yeah. I think anytime you have intense focus in anything, it's, it's easy for you to think that that's all you are, right? That's, yeah. that's who you, you are. So, so how, you how, how, how is that when, when, it, when that's taken away from you? At that point? Yeah. Well, what's tough when it's taken away, but building into it isn't, isn't easy. So I think the way, most people perceive as like, so you go from being the best in high school and then you go to college and you think you're the man and you don't <laughs> like you go there and think you're trash because you're the, you're the plebe, you know? Right. And it's, this, is a, this is a, a very, it's like human experience. I, I, as much as I'm saying it's football, this is, if you're going to say, leave your career and become a real estate agent, which is in the role you work in. Right. So my, my family, I've been around and my grandma owned her brokerage. So I was around real estate, my aunts, uncles, they've done real estate. Like it's, it's been part of my life for years. So I've watched it and there's a journey. There's a journey of this is not who I am, but now I have to go out and sell myself and make it look nice and communicate and emails. And there's a lot that goes in. And if you don't feel like it's who you are to do those things, then you don't do those things. And any effort you do give falls on deaf ears and you, you spend time, make no money, lose the sale, feel less than. Same in football. 
I can go there and naked. I could easily get on the team and I'm here. But then if I can't hold up my end of the bargain, do the job, I have no job. I'm riding the pine, you know? And so while it's football, it's, it's life. And, and it was difficult at every level to progress to that next level. Any level we aspire to go to, it's very difficult because you're not currently there. You question if you should be there. And the work you have to do to get there feels really out of character. It's, it's uncommon for who you are at this moment. So when identity comes in, you're, you are crafting your identity to level up, to level up. And so, so much is invested in that. And then comes a point when this is almost inevitable, when either by choice or by chance, you are no longer able to do that thing. That's the person who says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go and move on to a new career from real estate. Uh, the guy says, I'm going to leave the military. The mom who sends her kid off to college, the athlete that leaves the game. It could have been all by choice, right? But you're going to wake up one day and realize I'm not going to the office. I'm not going to the field. I'm not going to the weight room. What do I do with myself? Who in the world am I? And that weight creates this hole. There's a great book by Viktor Frankl. He calls it the existential vacuum. And we try and plug that hole with the wrong things. You know, you see people drink it away, smoke it away, drug it away, sex it away. A lot of different things that aren't good. And we'll, we'll be actively functioning with a horrible internal for years, no matter what we're doing. So for me, when that took place, man, I was in this funky place of, I wasn't the football guy, but I didn't have the tools to na navigate it, to manage it. So all of a sudden life came tumbling down, man. I was showing up poorly in every area of my life because I'd lost the one part that was the keystone. What do you think a person needs to successfully go through a change in their identity or, or to, to level up when, you know, they, they get to the, the next stage and they're, they're, they don't stand out as much as they used to. Yeah. Yeah. I'd call it a shift. I use the word shift because to change your identity is very, it's difficult. It's heavy. I don't know. I don't know if it's possible. You can make small shifts though. Because if you think about it, like a small shift in trajectory will change the entire end destination of a plane trip from here to Florida, you know, California to Florida, small little adjustments, different destination. But the way that I look at it is a lot of us, when we lose that one piece, we've lost that piece, that piece affects everything, right? So I, I look at it like we are all like the fruit of our labor, right? Football was a fruit of my labor. For somebody, it might be nothing related to their career. It could have been the fruit of their labor was the marriage they were in. When that fruit falls off the tree, I feel like the fruit. I can hang for a little bit, but eventually I rot and I feel rotten inside and I stop doing anything. And now what happens is I lose sight of the fact that I've never been the fruit. We have always been the tree. And if I'm only focused on the fruit, I don't take care of the tree. I don't take care of the rest of the fruit. All the rest of the fruit dies. So when I didn't, when I lost football, well, of course the marriage is going to fail. Parenting is going to fail. Body's going to get out of shape. Business is going to fall apart because I'm not paying attention. So when you ask, how do you do it? Well, the answer is you take care of the damn tree. It's got to be the tree. Because when I go back and take care of the tree, I'll find that that tree can produce more abundant and sweeter fruit if I know how, if I take care of that bad boy. So those shifts of identity is pretty much going back and going, all right, how do I have to take a look at what just took place, what I lost? What can I garner as strengths that are part of who I am? And how can I reapply them in ways that put the tree in great soil, that prune the branches, that water this bad boy, give it good sun and create something better? Because when you do that, you move on to the next thing, not, I guess, behind the ball, but you actually have new skills, new experiences, new talents, new network that you have garnered while doing what you currently did. You can reapply to something better. What, um, what specifically did you have to do when you were going, 
through this period crazy. of my life. Yeah, man. Yeah. It, so this has turned into a method we call the shift method. So there was a day I woke up, it was January 1st, 2016. It was New Year's Day, actually. And I was, uh, I was divorced, but I got like a, a good contract, like a quarter million dollar contract in business. And it was like 220,000 of profit. So I was like riding pretty good for business, but I was divorced. You know, I, was, I had the kids every other weekend. So I wasn't living this solid life. I remember waking up and I was texted a strange woman who had flown out from Russia of all places. And, and, you know, it, it was just this weird that we'd done like hookah and we're drinking, just hung over it, bad taste in my mouth, couldn't talk to this woman. And you'd think like, that's the party boy, you're killing it, good life, man. And I remember walking in the bathroom and looking at myself and like, I hate this dude. Like the amount of shame and guilt and overwhelm, I wasn't a good dad, I wasn't a good business owner in a sense of like stability and progression. I wasn't, I wasn't a good man of faith and I'd step far from my faith. I wasn't honoring my mom's memory. And so I was like, this dude sucks. And I think we all have those moments where we realize, like, I feel shameful and guilty of what, what I'm doing. And a lot of us will return right back to it and find ways to distract ourselves from it. And I had done that for a lot of years. But at this point in time, it was enough to, like, overwhelmingly force me to go, I got to change something. So it led me down a path of three steps. And these three steps are applicable to anybody, anyhow, wherever you want to frame it. But the purpose is to be able to eliminate that guilt and overwhelm that we have for like how much I haven't got done, how bad I've done, whatever it is that weighs us down and stops us from pursuing new things. But also when you remove that and you put some different structure and you can accomplish and achieve whatever the heck you want at ridiculously high levels, which I've done since then. So for me, the first stage is to see, and it's everybody. A lot of us, we, this is a statement I love. Somebody said a while back and they said, it is hard to see the label when you are inside of the jar which we are all inside of our jars, running our thing, doing it, but we don't see we're bad communicators. We get angry too fast. We're not nice. We aren't unorganized. We don't return emails. We just do our thing, right? And we wonder, why do I not have what I want? Why do I, well, you can't see who you are. You're just, you're just doing your thing. And then when somebody finally tells you what the label says, the ego takes a hit. And I go, ooh, I don't like how that feels. And we'll typically fire back and put this big wall up to protect this, this person that we are. And the reality right. is that, that person is creating crap. So the first step for me was to sit down and go, damn, why is my life like this? Why, why? And you'll find it in the, in the nooks and crannies of your pain. That's the big, you know, red flag of what's going on. You got to find that, 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 I guess, notification of like, how, oh, hold that thought for a second. Do you struggle with how to scale your real estate business without trading your most valuable asset, your time for money? If so, Carrie and I want to help you. Since March of 2020, we have doubled our sales and tripled our profit. And we want to help you grow your real estate business in a smart way at the Hyperfast Summit in Boca Raton, Florida on February 1st and 2nd, 2022. We're bringing together top real estate leaders to help agents from all over the world. Go to hfasummit.com for tickets. Again, that's hfasummit.com for tickets. Good. How are you able to step out and and see that label it's almost like it's a blind spot like a mm, mm -hmm. uh, that, that you have so how yeah. how do you get to the point where you can recognize it sometimes you don't sometimes you mm -hmm. don't somebody shows you a lot of the time so when we do this this process internally in our company we have people do it's called a triad talk <laughs> actually get involved with other people that that they have a, a very specific window that we set up of time in a moment how they kind of 
navigate this moment conversationally to extract this information. And it is very painful for people typically, but very freeing. And so what we're doing is we're trying to find out what are the things going on in your life that, that are big, that you feel like your marriage is falling apart. You're in bad shape. You can't seem to make the money. We notice the problem. We just don't know why it's the problem. Somebody knows usually there's people close to us that see it. They tell us and we go, leave me alone. You're just a hater. You don't like, like no, no, no. Sometimes they're telling you what you need to hear, but it may not be what you want to hear. So you label them as somebody that, that that's not for you, right? Uh, they're, you know, they're not your supporter. It's not the case. They might be the best supporter for you. So typically what I do is if I can't see it, if I'm looking and I can't be honest, like for me, I had to back in that day, I started with being very honest with myself. Why did my marriage fail? Why was I not a present father? Why was the business not doing well? And I did a pretty good job, I think, of getting real personal because I think we do know internally, but then there's things I didn't see. And I, I poked my best friends, conversation with my ex-wife. I asked some people that had no problem telling me what I didn't want to hear. And in doing so, you're, you're given this list of areas that you can improve. Now, Dan, it doesn't mean you have to do them all. Sometimes make it a list of stuff and go, you know what, I don't feel like dealing with that. That's, I'm just who I am. That's who I am right now. I'm stay like that, right? But there are some things you go, oh, yeah, that's something that that's probably a big hindrance. And at that moment, if you do it properly, you go to the next stage and you start actually owning that you got to work on this and you start creating a plan to address that. I call it a shift plan. But that first stage is you've actually got to take a look and see what in the world's going on. Because until you do that, you could do a bunch of work get drained, get burned out, burned through your money and still have no progress. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think if, if you, if you don't have the, if you're not working on the right things, you can be working really, really hard and not getting the results. And like you said, feeling burnt out. hundred percent. What's, what's, what's the next, I think you mentioned it's kind of a three-step process. What, uh, What's, what's the next? Oh, the next one. Yeah, it's, it's shift. So once you've, once you've seen what you need to do, like we'll call it the holes, the placement of holes in your bucket that need to be patched in these specific locations, right? Now you have to say, well, how do I patch them? Because some people will see the holes and go, I don't feel like patching it. I'm just going to keep leaking out. That's who I am. And they do. And then they run this weird life of cyclical pain. It's the oddest thing, but some people do it. Smart people, successful people go, all right, I'm going to work on that. It might mean I have to pull my ego back for a moment, give myself permission to improve, but I will. But in this area, I call it the shift stage. So see, and then shift. There's a couple of things you do in the shift stage. The first stage, first part of this is you have to go and say, who is the kind of person that has what I want? I think a lot of people go, what should I do? And the, the problem when you ask, what should I do? is you actually will only go to the level of what you believe you can do. You don't think outside the box. You actually don't even, you sometimes don't even pursue the things that really will change it because you don't think it's who you are. So when you stay internal, you're doing yourself a disservice. People go, what, what will my best self do? You don't even know your best self. You have no connection to them. In fact, there was a study done by UCLA that found that when they asked people about, you know, somebody you love, someone you know, a part of their brain lit up that said love. But if they asked you about your future self, stranger would light up in the brain. We don't even oh. connect to that person. Yeah, Merrill Lynch took this information and found a way to utilize it in a way that it had people increase their investment in future, like themselves by 40%. So we don't even see this future self. So the biggest thing is ask the question, who is a person that has what I want? And then what you do is you start creating a plan around what that person would do. 
Because what happens in these moments, it's moments. It's not the plan right now. It's, it's, it doesn't matter what I think right now. I mean, you could have an amazing plan. It doesn't matter until we show up to that moment. Do we execute the plan? And what I tell people is in that moment, you have to ask yourself this question. When it feels hard, feels heavy, the question is, what would the person who has everything that I want do right now? So this and, is this is the way for you to connect to your future self because it's somewhat I guess it's just so inconceivable for you to to think of what you'll need to be five, ten years. Hard. So you're you're kind of oh, yeah. picking other examples of people that have gotten there and that, that yeah. helps bridge this gap. Because your future self, you, I mean, seriously, we have a disconnect. Like if you ask me who's my future self, I started thinking of some it's like a Disney character in my head. I don't know. It's like it's all good and graceful because the future, everything's special in the future, it, but it's not. And, and it's hardship. And that's why I look at it's, this. Is, I used to frame the question also in a sense, I would say, if your hero was to follow you around for a day, what would they say? Because when you take it out of you and you put it in a box of somebody else, we'll call it, we can actually like, I'm sure you have a best friend. And if I asked you, hey, hey, Dan, what would your best friend do if, uh, I don't know, all of a sudden there's a $100 bill on the ground? You could probably tell me what he'd do. He'd be like, oh, he'll take it and put his pocket or like, he'll give it back. But you know, like, you know what a person, now you may not do the same thing, but you know what that person would do, whether or not it's going to be your. So whenever I go and say the person who has what you want, well, you're going to know what that person would do. And the question is whether or not you do it. That's where the delineation comes from. This, this shift portion, it isn't really a, a just think of somebody in the future. Like I actually craft out the identity. So I know when I ask that question, this person would get up right now and they would go write that email to, to, to follow up with the client. This person right now would get up out of bed. They would do their workout. I don't want to do it, but that's that person. I'm going to go do that. Right. And then once you have that kind of list of, a, of like, a, we'll call it a framing, it's actually a framework of who that person is. Now the shift plan is like, what is your plan to put into action? Cause we can go to the next step. Some people know what they got to do. They make a good plan. They don't execute the plan. They plan it. They'll put it on paper. It'll go in the notebook. It'll be written down, and then they still won't do it. It's amazing to me. And so the thing is, why, that why, why is that? You think why? Why do people not execute? Because a lot of people, in, just in our real estate program, they're like, why do you yeah. put out content around this? Aren't you worried competitors yeah. will use it? They can use it. And my and my response is, well, it's it's not that hard to to figure out what to do. What I think what separates the people that succeed from those that don't is you do it. Yeah, doing it. Period. Why, why, not, yeah. why do you think that gap exists? Yeah, it's not, like you said, it's not, it's not what you know, it's who you are with what you know. That's it. You can give a hammer to a baby, they ain't building a house. But you give a hammer to a construction worker, a homeboy's going to build a house, right? I think the biggest issue is that people run into the space of a future fear. There's this progression that we, I just talked to one of my teammates yesterday on my team about this whole thing, but there's like this, we do this thing that's bad. We'll call it sin. It, it sounds like a big word, but let's just say you do something wrong. It leads to guilt. I feel a funky way. I did something, didn't do something. I am something that's bad. And then I have fear of it recycling the future or somebody finding things out or me not be able to live up to what I want to do. So I make this plan and I go, man, I've made a plan in the past. I didn't do it. I feel funky for not doing it. Uh, what if I do it again? And then I, that energy doesn't drive me to do anything. So I think part of it is this fear of something because if I did not fear it, it would already be done right now. Like, I don't fear getting a, a you know, a burger at a, at a burger spot. I'm hungry. I want the burger. I don't fear that. I'm going to get that done, <laughs> you know. But if some but homeboy says, hey, you want to come by the house and you want to, uh, you know, barbecue? If I don't know how to barbecue, I'm like, um, yeah, we'll set something up. 
but I'm not, you know what I'm saying? It'll be postponed because of fear of what if I mess the hamburgers up? So the thing is, I think we have these stages internally that operate in some pockets of a little bit of fear. But I also think that sometimes people don't have the fear. They're like, I can do this. And then they get into the motion of doing it. And it feels incredibly uncomfortable because the things they have to do are not their typical things. They fear judgment. They fear feedback. They fear all these different things. And so what happens is we find really good excuses to remove ourselves from the pain of feeling that. Mm. And then I just don't do it. And then I slide back into my normalcy. So I think we sometimes have these plans that we just, we have, and they sound good and it can be amazing. But in working the plan, we find this, this discomfort and we don't realize that that discomfort is our friend. It's gotta be, it's, so anything that you do that changes your life is gonna have this level of comfort, right? And discomfort. I, I believe for a lot of us, we don't realize that the thing you're supposed to do is out of character work. Out of character for most people has a negative connotation. I don't wanna operate out of character. Yes, I agree. I don't wanna operate out of character and be disingenuous or have no integrity or be dishonest, right? But if out of character means that, you know, I never used a cold call, but I'm cold calling 100 people this month, it, that's a good thing. If it's going to grow the business, if out of character was, I don't, I don't usually take my wife on date days, but I'm going to take her out on a date day this month. Cool. It's, that's, that's out of character, but it's in the positive. It still feels just as uncomfortable. So for a lot of people, I think they create these plans, they get moving on them. They go, this feels real uncomfortable because they haven't done what it, which is the next part of it, sustain. They haven't created a discipline system. No one has this. This is the weirdest thing is people have habits, but they're not disciplined systems. A discipline system is something that says, here's the thing I want to go do. And I have to stay in line with, it. I have to play, stay disciplined to it. We call, we call discipline discipline because it's kind of like this big, heavy word where if it's a habit, I'm just doing my thing. Right. But discipline means I have to be a disciple of the plan. I have to follow the plan. And that's difficult. And so for a lot of people, they don't have ways to train people around them so they can protect their, their, process or plan they've made. They don't have a way to create a plan when the plan ends. They make a plan, then it gets the back and they go, oh, I don't know what to do with this now. Um, or they just don't have to stay disciplined of the day or stay in flow or stay anchored to the, out, the outcome they want to have. So it gets to this thing where people get, they get this all clear plan, everything's moving, they get started and it's not who I am to do this. I have no system to be able to stay in place. I don't know why I'm doing it. It feels more comfortable to go back to what I used to do. When was the, the moment in your life when you felt you had the most fear around doing what you already knew you had to do, you know, to, to get to get ahead, to get to the next yeah. level? Mm -hmm. uh, when, when was that moment and how did you get through that fear? That's a good question. For me, it was the moment when I realized that, uh, that the journey ahead to get where I wanted, like, so when I, 2016, I was like, I, I can't do this, man. This is the life. That was the moment was really scary because I developed friendships. I developed habits, systems, places, things I did that weren't serving me. And I was going to have to overhaul everything. And as human beings, we are tribal humans. Like we like to have acceptance from our peers. We like that. And so anytime you were going to become an outcast on purpose, there's a ton of fear around that. I was about to cut off a humongous piece of what my normalcy for life was, even if it wasn't good normalcy. So whether it meant, you know, I'm not going to hang out with the certain friends I was hanging out with, not going to hang out with the women I'd been talking to, you know, not going to do the same things at business, um, not going to party, whatever it may be, or going to take my ex-wife back. Like these things are heavy and they're scary. And it's not scary because what if I ruin my life? It's scary because what if I'm alone? And I think that for me was the hardest, scariest thing. The things I had to do to make that all work, like used to make me want to throw up. 
the thought of them, like Sarah, I'm not even kidding. Like the thought of having to do some of the stuff, made my stomach turn, but I would, I would let the stomach turn and I would go do the thing, man. It was just, I'm gonna dive right in. And the more I did that, the less scary it became. But for me, it was that realization, that moment of something has to change and the things that have to change, I do not want to do, but that's the only path to where I want to be. I, I've, I've, uh, been a big fan of Tony Robbins. I don't, I don't know if you've ever, you know, I've, I've shared a stage with him. I, we, Have you we, really? Recently, actually in Florida. The only thing was he spoke on day five in person. I was there day one. So like I left and didn't get to actually shake his hand and meet him. But I have friends that are friends with him. Like, like I'm one degree away from him. That's, that's awesome. One of the things that, that I've always taken away that he says is that the amount of success you'll have in life is proportional, proportional to the amount of discomfort you can get comfortable with. Yeah. So yeah, you, know, I agree. you, you, yeah, that, that really connected with me, you know, hearing, hearing you talk about pushing through the fear and getting out of character, right? Cause, yeah. Cause like you said, it's easy to assume getting out of character might mean you're doing something bad, but on the flip side of it, this feels bad. You know, it, it can, yes, it can mean, <laughs> Get it, getting out of what you normally do, which will yeah. obviously feel uncomfortable at first, but the more you can do that, the more you will learn and grow. Yeah, that's the only thing. And when you can get in, into an addiction to that, so think about it. It's kind of like the person who works out and they can't miss a workout. I've been this guy. I'm, I'm not as much this guy as I used to be, but there are people who like the thought of working out is like, oh my, hell no, my body's going to hurt. I'm going to be puking the throat up. I breathe hard. My muscles are going to burn all that. There's pain, physical and mental and emotional, right? But there are some people who are addicted to that. Like they can't not, that the burn is insatiable. It's palpable mm -hmm. to them. I get it. It's the same thing for life, man. The things you have to do to grow are going to be uncomfortable. It's the same thing, like metaphorically, like Tony said. It's can you handle that pain? That's disproportionate. Your level of strength proportion to how much pain you can handle with a weight that's too heavy. And when it burns, that will help you grow. So it's, it's just emerging over that exact same thing for a concept in life. Hey, hold that thought. Do you want to get 100 tips for free from my best selling real estate book, The Hyper Local Hyper Fast Real Estate Agent? If you do, go to hyperfasttips.com and you can download 100 of my best tips today. Again, that's hyperfasttips.com. You can download 100 tips on how to grow your business, get more clients, deliver more value to more people. Go to hyperfasttips.com. What are you doing now to, to teach other people about these techniques, about how to make this shift? Because I think this is really really important if, if you want to be good at sales you know you're going to get rejected you're going to have to push through this if you want to be good at business um you're going to have to learn how to deal with this and, yeah. and learn how to put the right amount of focus on it but not to the point where you take away from other things in your life you know fitness yeah. family harmony uh spirituality like all these things you've hit on how how are you helping to teach these methods to other people yeah so the interesting thing is I don't think we need to have a lot more, we'll call it methods for skill sets and stuff. I think we have a lot of them. The majority of people, if I asked right now, do you know what you should do in sales? Do you know what you should do in structuring up your business for automations? Do you know what you should do for follow-up? They'll be like, yeah, I know what I should do. Then I'll ask, are you doing it? No. Why not? I don't know. 
And so a lot of it is we don't have an issue with the information or what to do. If anything, nowadays, there is an, an over, an oversight of information. There is too much overload, we'll call it too. There's just too much information and not enough people doing it. And so what I end up doing is going in and saying, okay, let's figure out how do you become the person goes from right now where it's hard to do that thing to where it's hard not to do that thing. That's a vast switch because the say that thing has to be done for you to make money. And we all know it. For some people, it's like pulling teeth to get it done. For some people, they do it. And if they don't do it, they feel weird going to sleep at night. And so what I do is I do it in speeches. I do it in podcasts, but really we do it in our coaching programs. And we help people go through this, this method. The whole purpose of the method is everything you just talked about creates a little pocket of this guilt. Like I feel guilty for not making the money I should this month. And I know I should have made that. I feel guilty for working all these hours and not spending time with my family and not going to that baseball game. I feel guilty for being at the baseball game on my cell phone or thinking about work. It's just, it compiles and it spins up and people, they don't understand that anytime you're in that weird space, you're giving, you're not giving full energy to anything that you're trying to grow. You're just, you're just balancing and maintaining this, this weird funky place. And so when I go in, I teach people how to pull that apart, plan it, focus on it differently, and then structure in this amazing plan that when they start working it, not only will it feel uncomfortable, but it'll be the thing that at the end of the day, where it was hard to do at first, it becomes hard not to do that process, not to operate in that way, not to say those things. Not Like for me, it's weird to not be able to shut work off. I used to never be able to take work out of my head. It would always be in there. I'd be up in the middle of the night thinking, thinking, thinking. And now it's like I, I shut it off and walk away. And I'm like, man, it's so weird. I used to never be able to do this, but it's who I am now to turn it off so I can be present with the family. And that's something that, that we put into a process to build into. Most people will assume I can do it by sheer willpower. And then they don't. And as well, willpower ain't working, man. You need a process, you need a plan. You, I tell them it needs to be a skill set that I call visioneering. Engineering a vision, engineering an identity to shift into, and engineering a path to get there. That takes process and people. So these two simple things. It sounds simple and it is simple, but it's hard to do. It's a skill set of how do I know like skillfully how to get rid of the wrong people, how to find the right people, how to get the right people into my coalition and then get community and get coached. Like I need people around this. And then some people are like, I got the right people. I'm a network all day, but then they have no process to follow. A lot of cheering and celebration, but then have no process in the background. So I'm just winging it. That's why you need to have a process. And we use the shift method that is created in a way to not just shift the identity, but to accomplish really cool goals. Because I got to accomplish something to have proof of who I've now shifted into as an identity. So my goal is, let me get you to achieve something real cool. Let me get you to make more money. Let me get you to have a better body. Let me get you to have a better relationship. All of this stuff. While you do that, you're going to feel like the person deserves that. And that takes a process to follow. And so when we give you people in process, it changes the game. So we do that in our coaching programs, but it's really that simple. You need people, you need process, and you need to have the skill set of applying both. Yeah, I like that one statement about willpower not working. I think it's it's rare that you do it on willpower alone. You need the right environment, the right systems, like like Have you to. said. And there's there's actually a really good book out there called uh, it's called Willpower Won't Work. By yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't read which, it yet, but I've heard of it. But yeah, he he talks a lot about environment and processes, and that you know if you if you really want to do something well or achieve something you got to get around people that that are doing that and know how to do it and have to 
um, and that's really the key. So I think, you know, connecting with people like you that have been through this and created this the man. program around it, it's, yeah. it's, it's vital. Yeah, it is huge. I mean, and, and I think that the, the thing is getting around the right people is big and you can be around people that are doing things, but I think you're the average of the expectations of the people you're around, not just the people. It's one piece of it. If my expectation is to, to do dumb stuff, but I'm, I'm making the money that you want, then I'm not the person to be around, right? You need to be around the person that wants to do good things, make more money. That's the aspiration, the expectation. So when you're around, it elevates you. But I think one of the most important pieces is people are trying to get around other humans that inspire them. And I want to be around you. But then they don't realize that the reason these people are where they are is not simply because of humans, but they are operating with an identity in a very functional process for their life that allows them to do the things that you are struggling to do with ease. Like that's the thing, the things that I do every day, people go, hey, how in the world do you have a marriage where you have time with your wife and you're with the kids and you're traveling for speeches and you're still coaching clients, you run your company. I, how do you do it all? I'm like, I got a really, really good system. I have a process that allows me to have everything in place. And it's not rigid. I, I watch a lot of TV shows. I hang out and watch movies. Bro, I'll cut the day in the middle of the day, sit down and watch a show and eat popcorn in my office. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm dead, but I'm still ahead of the game. It's because of the way yeah. that I, I break everything down. I'm not going to show you now, but it's I take things down to like how they get planned to go into my planner and then how I operate and complete the plan. That's the magic to it. If you can figure that out and make sure the things you're putting in there are, are complementing the life you want to live and the business you want to build and they got a sweet harmony to it, well, it's, it's, like, it's like listening to your favorite song every day. Do you have a certain way you organize your morning or your night or any yeah. kind of methods there to get clarity on what you actually need to accomplish in, in a certain day and what maybe is not that important? Yeah, I, there's a... It's a longer deep talk. We actually, this is, this is one of the modules, like the, the last module in our coaching, because we go through all the thinking stuff and then I'm a tactical guy, right? I'm a football guy. I need playbook. Tell me what to do. I need to go run the route, you know, kind of thing. So we boil this all down to like, like a few hours of training, but once you get it locked in and you do it, it gets you into that really good motion for rhythm and you create momentum. But I'll give you the kind of the synthesized down version. What it is, is you first have to figure out what really belongs in a plate and what doesn't. Most people don't do this. They just think everything they think has to be done. It's a problem. So understanding how to get the, the wrong things off the plate, the right things to stay on, then how to figure out what does your life need to look like? What are the life experience things? We have 10 that we look at. Like, where do these things go in where you're actually focused on really improving experience parts of your life, whether it's trips you take and friends you have, family or faith, whatever it is. And then now that you have these, you go into your planner and you start first plugging in your life. What do you want your life to look like? Wake up, go to sleep, eat, all this kind of stuff. And it, it sounds simple at first. And it actually is fairly simple. The, the hard part's the thinking before this. And then what you do is you start infusing based on how you've deconstructed your, your projects you choose to actually keep in. How do you deconstruct those and infuse them into your life? To where now what you have is up to four to six weeks, your life done. And for me, my life is always done about four to five weeks out. But I cut my day off at 2.30 each day get my kids and I'm dad, right? But the way that I do it, when I cut my day, I cut my day. I'm not at 2.30 turning off the computer thinking about I got to rush home and finish that thing and do this thing and, and carrying the weight of all the things that are unfinished or have to get done. I let all of it go. So I live in this really peaceful place at a high pace. So when I start work with people, the goal is how do I get you to accomplish more? And we do, we get you to accomplish more much faster with a high pace, but doing it all at peace. 
And that's, that's the rhythm I get to stay in. And so that's what I get to go teach people. So I do have a very distinct process that has a morning routine, has evening routines, has all the stuff tied in. And at face value, it's very daunting. It's like opening a box of Legos going, holy crap, this is like a thousand piece Lego, right? But then for me, it's like, no, here's the manual of how to put that together. So when it's done, you go, oh crap, I did that. And hopefully the, the pieces are in the little, you know, bags for each section. That, that, that definitely helps. There, yeah. well, we always have them. I think that's a cool thing is when we start looking at the pieces, we've got them all. We know what to do. I rarely ever have to teach people things to do. We know what to do. You'll learn more along the way. Most of us just know what to do. So I'm not going in being this guy that's like, I know way more about how to do the thing. I have clients that, that run multi-million dollar companies. I don't know what they're doing. I couldn't, I couldn't spend a day in their shoes, but I understand life structure and the identity that they're showing up with. And when I can go in and talk to them about the structure behind the scenes, like I, the thing is, for example, when I work with people, my goal is not to teach you about every exercise. You ever hired a personal trainer before? You ever hired somebody? Yeah. Yep. You ever had them try to explain the muscle groups and the, all the stuff, the biomechanics and go like, all right, bro, sounds good. But I do, do I do a squat? How many sets and reps, man? What do I got to do? Like, I don't need to know about the body and all this stuff right now. I'm trying to just get my workout in the next hour, right? So for me, having done the personal training thing, I realized like no one really cares about all the biomechanics and anatomy of the squat. They're just like, where should my knees be, bro? Tell me real quick. Let me get it done. So when I come in and work with people, I'm not trying to teach them about all the neuroscience and stuff. It's like, bro, just trust that the workout I put together is going to get you in shape. So I, I do that thinking so they can just show up, give me what they, I had, let me, how do you do this? Okay, cool. Then we put it together and then just follow the workout plan. So for them, it's as easy as showing up, doing the thing, they rock and roll. That, that's how we get our work to get to the end. It's not a matter of having them learn what I know. It's having them apply what I know. I love it. Anthony, this has been amazing. I always like to end with a hyper fast round. If you're ready for some rapid fire. I'm ready. If you're ready, man. All right. What's your biggest piece of advice to a new real estate agent? Oh, uh, relationships, man. This is not a, a, like a new one, but you got to establish, and establishing a relationship means that you should unsettle them with the fact that you haven't talked business, just get to know them as people. And then not only that, continue the relationship that person's going to sell a house a month a year you know at some point they're probably like years from that they may sell a house buy another house you want to be the first person they call it's a long game my family that did it was a long game so they should have clients that come back or refer you because you give a christmas present to every person you sold a house to every single year could be something simple but do this like you know you just follow up ask how they're doing pay attention it's not that hard to create a database for it you do that and you'll never, like five years in, you'll never struggle. You'll always have people coming back to you because they always remember you because you built and established and kept a relationship in place. What do you think is the biggest thing that successful people forget to do? Um, they forget to sharpen the ax. I think when they, whenever they're moving, they get used to a pace that they go at so fast, they never realize the pace is falling off till they burn out. So I'm really big on like taking time to sharpen the ax, which means go back, take a look at myself. You should not wait until everything falls apart to see if you should fix something. That's why we do maintenance checks for our cars, right? We, we don't wait till we're broken on the side of the road to start working on that thing. We want to make sure if something's going funny, let me fix it. Most of us wait till we've broken down on the side of the road, but you shouldn't do that. What's the biggest challenge you've had in business and how'd you overcome it? 
me, my ego was the biggest issue. I believe that, you know, before my NFL guy, I know what I'm doing. I'm not gonna listen to these mere mortals who didn't play professional sports and I had this massive ego, which hindered me from hearing the information I needed to hear to actually do things right and then give myself permission to improve. If you can remove the ego and admit where you need to get help and then do that, you'll find that you get everything else you want because people are happy to tell you what needs to be done. It's a matter of if you're happy to hear it. What do you do uh, when you're not spending time on earth, on work? I'm with my family, man. Yeah. I like, I like, I really, I like sci-fi. I love all kinds of TV shows, but I love like weird out of the box shows today. I get to catch up on foundation and invasion on Apple TV, but I'm a TV movie buff, man. I hang with the kids and sports. I train, I work out, I compete in little stuff too. So that's my thing, man. I'm a, I'm who's an actor. Who's your favorite team? Oregon ducks, dude. Yeah. I have no favorite pro team, but I'm a duck. <laughs> so that's, that's my favorite team. Uh, it's all my mater. It's the only one I can root for and never feel bad about because they traded me or, you know, cut me or something like that. All right, last question. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? 10 years from now, I am traveling with my wife to places where like the kids have to call to find out where I'm at, mm. whatever that looks like. And at the same time, I'm doing something that impacts the world to the work I've done. I might even be acting in a movie. Who knows? 10 years. Yeah, I'll probably be in a movie too. I don't know which one. Awesome. Well, Anthony, this has been amazing. Before we sign off, if people want to learn more about your programs, get your book or just connect with you, uh, how should they do that? Yeah. Best place is to go to anthonytrucks.com or if you follow me on Instagram at anthonytrucks. If you want to grab the book that released recently, you go to identityshiftbook.com. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Anthony, and to all of our listeners and viewers. Thanks for tuning in. Please leave us some feedback, give us some comments, and share this episode with people that you know would benefit from it, and everyone can benefit from the lessons we went over today. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyper Fat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyper Fat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests and improve our shows. So give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.